and we're about to jump into this message. But before we do, I've got a couple questions that I want to ask you. And this is kind of an interactive thing. I want to ask you these questions, and then I want you to actually answer. Even if you're watching it right now at a 9 or 10.30 service or later in the day, um, actually comment. If you're watching on Facebook, comment in the comments your answer. If you're not watching on Facebook, we're going to put my email address up, and you can shoot me an email uh, with your answer. So here's the question. When you think about the way that other people describe you, do you think other people describe you as more of a positive person or more of a negative person? Would you say that people would say you're more of an optimist? You know, the kind of person that's always going around looking to find um, the opportunities at hand, more of a glass half full kind of, or a glass, <laughs> yeah, glass half full, that's what I meant to say. Are you more of a glass half full kind of person? Or, uh, or would you say that people would describe you as more of a pessimist? You're kind of the person that finds the flaws. You can look at any situation and see what's wrong with it without even having to try. Are you more of a glass half empty kind of person? And so uh, shoot those thoughts and what you think other people would say about you. How would they describe you? Shoot those into the comments or shoot them to an email. That'll all be up on screen. We'll leave it up there for a minute so you can uh, have it handy and make sure you get your feedback into us. We would love to hear just for some fun interaction to kind of see the variety of people and how you think people view you. I know for me, I've always thought of myself as a pretty positive person. I, I definitely have had my uh, seasons of pessimism, I think, like anybody. But overall, I think I've thought of myself as a pretty positive person, pretty optimistic person. But there's a couple of things that happened um, early on in my 20s that I can look back at. And there's sort of some anchor events that help me look back and go, man, I actually am a pretty positive person. And I, one of those stories is back in my early 20s, I was working for a roofing company. Um, a lot of my young adult life, early adult life, I worked in construction-related trades, sales and, and installation and doing different things. In, in one of my many jobs I was doing when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? And so... I'm working for this roofing company, I'm doing sales, I'm kind of helping manage some crews, scheduling uh, jobs and deliveries and all that kind of stuff. And so one day I get a phone call from one of the crews and uh, the guy on the phone is just frantic. He's one of the employees with the company and he's, he's frantic, he's freaking out. I can hardly make out the story of what's going on. I'm worried that somebody got hurt, I don't know what's happening. And, and I'm trying to slow him down and piece together, like, what is going on? What happened here? And he's like, listen, we came to the job this morning exactly like we were told to do. We brought the truck. We got, we got everything. We pulled up. We looked at the work order. It was the, we, we came to the house. It was blue. It had white trim. It said protect the landscaping because there are such and such flowers. So we set everything up. We plywooded the side. We tarped everything. We protected the landscaping. It was a shake roof that was really old and needed, you know, needed replaced. And, and it said on the work order that the delivery was coming with plywood and shingles this afternoon. So we've been hustling to get this roof tore off to make sure we were ready for the delivery this afternoon. And he goes, and we, we got most of it tore off. Most of the first half of it, he said, tore off. And all of a sudden, the homeowner comes peeling into the driveway cussing us out, freaking out, just having a panic. He's like foaming at the mouth. He's so mad at us. And he's like, this guy is ready to get in a fight with us. He goes, I don't even know what to do. Like, and he's, this employee is just like in a panic as he's talking to me. I'm like, slow down. 
what's going on? He's like, this guy's so angry and all this stuff. And he wanted to see our paperwork. And I didn't know if I should let him see it. So I presented him with the paperwork just to prove like we're just doing our job. And he said the homeowner looked at the paperwork. And as he reviewed the paperwork, he highlighted and pointed out to the employee that they were actually supposed to be at the house right next door. And so the crew had showed up at the wrong house and tore his roof off. So you can understand why he was in a little bit of a panic and he was a little bit upset. And so they, I said, just calm down. I'll be right there, right? And so I rushed to the job site and I get there. And the minute I pulled onto the job and got out of my truck, all the employees like scattered to the roof. They didn't want to be anywhere around when this went down, whatever it was, because this guy was not happy. And so I, I just engaged the guy in a conversation, apologized over and over again, calmed things down asked if I could have a few minutes to kind of just get up on the roof, assess the situation, see what was going on, how far the guys had got, what would it take to repair or replace or fix, and, and, and then come up with some sort of a solution. And so then I sat back down and talked to the guy, and we visited and we reviewed and kind of stepped away and understood how we could have come to this decision. It wasn't done intentionally. It, yes, it was a mistake and a bad mistake, but it, but. It, it, it wasn't from a bad place. It was just an honest mess up that had big consequences. And then as we reviewed and looked at his roof, and, and really his roof was 15 years, 20 years past needing replacement. And so we worked out a deal to do the first side of it at cost with uh, zero markup, uh, just to honor him and the mistake that was made and help get him a, a part of a roof done that needed replaced. And we worked out a contract to redo the rest of it. And at the end of the day, at the end of this conversation, the man was satisfied, he was happy, he told me thank you, shook my hand and went back to work. And the employees were like, how in the world, how in the world did that happen? What, what did you just say to that guy that allowed that interaction to happen to where he shook your hand and drove away happy? And I was like, well, it, it, it's all about your mindset. Like, do you come into a situation like kind of the optimist pessimist pessimist deal like do you walk into a situation like seeing what's going to go wrong and automatically assuming everything's going to go badly or do you walk into a situation just kind of trying to find the opportunity trying to find the good i'm like more than ever i came here just praying for an opportunity to make this work out for his benefit for your guys's benefit for our company's benefit and i had to get pretty creative but in the end we, come, we came up with a solution that, that worked for everybody, and, and it helped me get a, a grip on and get a, a, a concrete example in my life to help me understand and re be reminded that oftentimes you find what you look for. And as you're going into a situation, if you're more of an optimistic person and you're looking for opportunity, you probably will find it. If you're more of a pessimistic person, more of a negative person, you, you naturally are going into situations looking for what's wrong with a situation or a person, you naturally will tend to find it. And this is really nothing new. Um, the people that Paul encounters on the island of Malta, which we're going to review here in a minute in Acts chapter 28, but these people that he uh, interacts with on this island, they really viewed life through a specific mindset too, kind of a, a filter that they saw life through. And at that time, what, one of the things we've got to understand is most of the world had a polytheistic view. In other words, um, uh, a perspective of life 
uh, in the world where there was many different gods, and the gods controlled really essentially everything on earth. There were all these various gods that had control over different things like crops and fertility and health and wealth and uh, you name it, fishing and livelihood and happiness. And uh, there was gods for everything. And so it, for them, their mindset was uh, really it was a normal thing for them to, to look at life in a way that with an idea that good things happen to people who have pleased the gods or the gods are happy with. Maybe, maybe it was because you've done something to please the god. Maybe it's because you've made the right kind of sacrifice or kind of earned or bought the uh, kindness of the gods momentarily. And bad things happen to people who have angered the gods and, and um, have uh, the gods are, are mad at them for whatever reason. You haven't done the right thing or behaved the right way. And so you can imagine how that kind of mindset would really affect the way you would think about God and what you might believe about a God that maybe a guy like Paul would talk about. And it would also affect what you would think God thought about you, right? And so here are these people on Malta, and, and they think this way, and they look out, and they see that there's this ship wrecked out on the reef out of the island, and, and they see these men, you know, kind of floating in on the surf and swimming in, and at this time, it's winter on the Mediterranean, which means it was like in the lower 60s, which for us in the Northwest sounds fantastic. But if you lived in the Mediterranean, 60s is cold, and it was wet, and it was windy, and, and they're shivering, and they're, they're coming up on shore. And the people from Malta, it wouldn't take them too long to start getting the story out of the guys that are coming out of the ocean. And, and for them to find out that Paul and all 276 men had been lost at sea for weeks, and, and they, they haven't eaten for weeks, and they had crashed this ship, and, and it wouldn't take long for them to figure out that every single one of them made it to shore alive. And so you can imagine they're already starting to draw conclusions based on their worldview or their mindset of like what they think about gods and how gods treat people. And, and to have a ship crash and yet have everybody come aboard alive, they would have been starting to make some assumptions or draw some conclusions about what the gods thought about these men from this shipwreck. So it's a pretty short text. I'm just going to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to circle back and kind of unpack it. So it goes like this. Acts 28 verse 1 says, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Um, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and he put it on the fire. And a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. You don't ever want to have a viper fasten itself on your hand. Just a little side note there. Verse 4. When the islanders saw that the snake hanging from his hand, uh, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and, and decided that he was a god. 
There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island, and he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the the supplies that we needed. And after three months, uh, we put out to sea in a ship that wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. And so they... We learn that they're three months on Malta over the winter. Uh, They leave on another Alexandrian grain ship bound for Rome. But here's the thing that we get to see in this story. We get to see really two very different mindsets about God and how God interacts with people or what God thinks of people. The islanders, they don't really know the one true God, and instead they believe in many gods, right? And, and their gods, in their experience, are often angry and hard to please. And they're always in this, this uh, they're always doing this tug of war, this filter, trying to figure out what do the gods think about us? Or what do the gods think about that person over there, or that person over there? And they're always determining what the gods think about people based on the circumstances going on in the person's life. And so... The problem with this is it, it it makes your situation, your life circumstances, the thing that defines what God thinks about you. And, and there's a lot of problems with that, the, not the least of which is it's just not true, right? Because it, there's all these different ways that that would play out. Like life's not going so well, right? Like your car broke down, uh, you got a flat tire, you got a bad day, shipwrecked, whatever, like... You must have really ticked off the gods. Like, God must have it out for you. Like, you must have really messed up. You know, God surely doesn't like that guy over there or that lady over there. And, and we can look at a story like this and think, oh, this is, this is the way it used to be. And, and the reality is it's still a view um, or a mindset that really permeates the way people think even still today. I, I know a lot of people... I've heard expressions like this many times. I've heard them many times, and I think probably some of you have maybe even said something like this, like, I'm not going to go darken the door of a, a church, because if I do, the whole place will probably fall down. Or, or you've had a friend say, well, I'm, I, I mean, I don't mind you doing the church thing, but if I stepped into a church, I'd probably, got hit, I'd probably get hit with lightning, right? What does that tell me? That tells me that people that say those things, it tells me what kind of what they think God thinks about them. They actually think that their behavior and their actions and maybe some things that they've said actually drives what God thinks about them. Do you understand the problem with that? Is it's, it's putting your behavior, your actions in the driver's seat like, as if what you do and say could dictate to God what he thinks and feels about you. And it just doesn't work that way, no more than it does if a child's behavior gets to dictate to a mom or dad what they feel or think about their very own children. And it goes all the way back, really, to the very beginning 
in Genesis 1 where we get to see a right view, a, a right perspective of what God thinks about us. And I think it's important that we go back and touch on that so that we don't get kind of lost in the shuffle of these different mindsets and different viewpoints and where do we discover who God says we are and what God thinks about us or how God feels about us. There's so many things that water that down and muddy the waters that I think it's important that we go back to Genesis 1 and we get reminded. So it goes like this in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. He says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, and it was the sixth day. And you got to understand, since the very beginning, God set out with nothing but awesome thoughts and plans for mankind. Made in his very image. No other thing in all of creation gets this special privilege. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that. No other thing in all of creation gets the special privilege of being made in the very image of God. And, and you think about it, like there are some amazing, beautiful, awe-inspiring, breathtaking things in creation. Flowers, microorganisms, giant trees, the most exotic animals and sea creatures. Like, I, I can't believe, like, there was a time when I learned about the cuttlefish. If you don't know what a cuttlefish is, watch some YouTube videos. This thing is amazing. It's a, it's a fish that's covered with, like, holographic lighting equipment to change and flash. And it is amazing. And, and we blow that thing away when it comes to beauty and awe and awesomeness in the image of God. Like, Nothing in all of creation gets the honor of being made in the image of God. And, and God's good plan goes even way beyond that for us as well. He actually blessed us and said to be fruitful and multiply. Like uh, of all creatures and all creation, we're the only species, mankind, that gets to uh, have God's blessing to procreate, to make more of us, and we get to actually experience what God experienced in that. We get to make little versions of us. We get to imagine what it's like, like to physically, concretely experience what it's like to have someone made in our own image and likeness, the way God has done for us. Like, Nothing in all creation gets to do that. He gave us authority to rule over all the earth, the food, the supplies, the resources, right? And the thing is, no matter what you do, no matter how you live, like your choices, your mistakes, 
your rebellion, none of it changes what God thinks of you. It doesn't change God's love for you. Your behavior and your circumstances don't dictate to God who he thinks you are and what he thinks about you and how he feels for you. And I think Peter gives a statement that's a, a great reminder for us. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some, of under, uh, some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, and so the question is, what's the promise, right? Well, the promise to return, the, to judge the wicked and to save the righteous, the, the promise of a new earth and a, a, a perfect creation. And I know I've heard a lot of people say, I've probably said it myself sarcastically at times, like, this world is so messed up, right? Like, I wish God would just come now. Like, well, I wish we could just get it over with. Like, how long do we have to wait? Like, let's just, can't we just get to this perfect union with God, like, Calgon, take me away, right? And that's okay if you know God. It's easy for you to say if you know who God is and what God thinks of you and where you're going. But if, but if you're the parent waiting for your kids to come to their senses, to reconcile and, and, and get back in a right relationship with you because you know you love them and they're just lost. They're off the path. They've lost their way. Like, how long would you wait? How, how many of your kids would you be willing to write off so that you could just sort of end it sooner than later, right? Like, God is a patient God and His patience is because it's is born out of a love that none of us, no one ever made in His image, wouldn't get to experience being in a right relationship with Him and really knowing what He thinks of them as sons and daughters. So back to Paul in Acts chapter 28. you got to understand, Paul has a very different mindset about who God is, and it shapes the way that he lives, right? It shapes the things that he does and how he handles the situations that he's in all throughout his life. And, and Paul knows that God is a good God, right? That, that God's a good God that loves him and, he, and not just him, but that God is a good God who loves all people. Jews, Gentiles, people that have grown up in church, people that didn't grow up in church, different races, different religions, different backgrounds, like Paul knows God is a God who loves all people. And so everywhere Paul goes, he can look at the landscape and he starts to see what God sees. He, he starts to think the way God thinks. And, and so here he is, he lands on this island. This wasn't the plan. This was not an expected part of the journey. This wasn't the way it was supposed to go to get from point A to point B. And yet here they are, they land on this this island, and the people they meet, they're all over the map. I mean, one minute they think that, that Paul's been judged innocent by a goddess named Justice because he's been uh, a survivor of a shipwreck. And so surely the goddess Justice, because she allowed him to live through a shipwreck, must have judged him innocent. And then the very next minute, they think he must be a murderer because after all that, he got bit by a snake. And then sometime later, not long after that, 
all of a sudden, because he didn't die because of the snake, now they think that maybe he's a god. And so they're, they're all over the map based on what they think the gods think about him because of his circumstances and his situation. And, and that's the, the cool thing is that Paul doesn't get hung up on this stuff, right? He, he doesn't get hung up and get sidetracked. He doesn't try to argue worldviews with them. He doesn't try to start an apologetic argument with them. Paul is able instead to see an island full of people the way God sees people. He's able to see that there's a man here who has a sick dad, who's concerned for the health and welfare of, of a family member whom he loves. And so Paul does what someone with the heart of God does. They look with compassion. He takes time. He listens. He, he hears. He prays. He lays hands on him. He heals the man. And then that opens up the door for other people to say, hey, we need to be really real with you. Here's what we're worried about. And we know enough about Paul at this point that there is no way, there is no way he spent three months on Malta without preaching the gospel, without talking to people about repentance and what it looked like to turn from their sin and to seek Jesus, to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. There is no way. It goes without saying that these people heard the gospel. And they heard it from one of the most heartfelt, passionate, sincere gospel preachers that's ever walked the earth. So as we're finishing up this morning, I kind of want to finish a little bit different. I want to ask you a couple of questions. And so we're going to put the questions up on screen and we'll leave them up there for a second so you can screenshot them or take a picture or write them down or whatever's convenient for you. But there's just going to be two questions. And... I want to um, encourage you or challenge you to take these two questions and actually spend some time um, praying about them, sifting through them, sorting through them, journaling, writing out um, some thoughts and prayers and, and, and answers to these questions. Like, give them some real time and see what God is maybe saying to you or showing you personally. So let me finish with a couple of questions. The first one is this. Are you letting God tell you who you are? Or are you telling God who you are? Do you see the nuance there, the difference? Are you actually personally letting God tell you who you are? Or are you personally trying to be the one that tells God who you are? So write that one down and and spend some time chewing on that this week and seeing what God shows you, and where God shows you and takes you in Scripture, what God reminds you of when it comes to who you are and your identity and what God thinks about you and, and where that identity comes from. All right? And then the, the next question, and this is the last one, is, is more in how you interact with other people, kind of like Paul on the island of Malta, is do you have compassion and patience and love? For the people that you encounter. Do you have compassion, patience, and love for the people that you encounter? And spend some time reflecting on that one. Have that on the dash of your car as you go in and out of places where you interact with people. Put it on your computer screen if you're doing a lot of work online or connected with a lot of people through social media stuff. Like, you know, am I being compassionate? patient and loving with the people that I'm interacting with? Like, do you have a heart and attitude 
that lines up with the heart and attitude of God like Paul did? Or is that something that you just really never even think about, right? Like, so those are some things to chew on this week that I think um, maybe God will teach and show and encourage us um, through this story of a crazy thing happening with a, a group of men landing on an island thousands of years ago and the way that uh, the different people reacted differently because of their worldview and mindset. And so with that, I'm gonna wrap us up and we're gonna finish with communion. So if you don't have your elements for communion yet, now is your chance to grab them. I'm gonna do the same. And then just a minute, we're gonna take communion together. part of our church, um, we take communion. And we do that whether we're online together in this community or whether we're in person uh, gathering in Colfax or in Pullman. No matter where we're at, as often as we get together, we remember what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And we do that um, through the sacraments that we take each week in communion. We have bread and juice and and it's been interesting with a lot of people at home doing online stuff and uh, there's some creative communion elements and it's, it's kind of fun. But the heart behind it is always that we remember what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so this morning we'll do the same thing. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he uh, said that this bread represents his body that was broken for us. So as we take the bread, let's remember the body of Christ. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said that this cup represents a new covenant, which was sealed with the shedding of his blood. It, it represents forgiveness of sins for us. And so as we take the cup, let's remember and be grateful that in Christ, we can have uh, our sins forgiven as we put our faith and trust in him. So let's take the cup. Join me as we pray and, and wrap up this morning. Father God, we love you and we are just so grateful for your son. We're so grateful for what he accomplished for us on the cross, Lord, that he was faithful to finish the task. And because of that, not only can we have our sins forgiven, but we can be restored into a right relationship with you that every mistake we've ever made, every wrong thing we've ever done, can not only be forgiven, um, but God, you're faithful to even forget. That you don't keep a record of our wrongs, that you look at us and see us as heirs with Christ and sons and daughters like kids that you love. And so God, thanks that you think so highly of us. And so we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. We are grateful that you are with us online and uh, continue to help spread the word, share the message afterwards in your social media stuff, and spread the word to folks in the Colfax community or the Pullman area community that we are meeting in person live for services. So if you're comfortable coming back to live services, we would love to see you Thursday nights at 6.30 in Colfax or Sunday mornings at Daggy Hall in Pullman at 9 or 10.30. You can find everything about directions and everything else online at rlcpullman.com. See you next week.